Podcast One. Hi, this is Paul McIntyre. Welcome to the MI3 Audio Edition. I've been a business journalist for 25 years covering the marketing, media, agency and tech sectors. In this series, we talk to industry leaders about the global and local developments that you need to be across this week. Well, get your seatbelts on. We have a chap called Jack Singleton here to talk about everything really from media to advertising to his thoughts on the world. You may have noticed that nine have just taken the final minority stake in Macquarie Media. Jack was a director of Macquarie, obviously the owners of 2GB and a bunch of other things, but he's off the board. He's free to talk. Firstly, Jack, this would be the last media investment, I think, for the Singleton, shall we say, family stroke empire. What's the story? Yeah, well, look, I haven't been a director for a couple of years, but the price and time are right. Uh, For a long time, Russell Tate, the executive chairman, has said the natural owner of a radio station such as Macquarie Media, a group of stations, is a TV station. And the fact that Nine now own Fairfax and now own Fairfax Macquarie Media radio stations, it's it's a good fit and they've paid the the right price. And we're going to get to your thoughts uh, on Alan Jones and a whole bunch of – and some of the the, the DJs in a second. But you have talked about the natural fit for a television network and a radio station and run through that because television was a big advertiser on AM – the first natural synergies were that the, the Fairfax radio station should be put together with Macquarie Media um, or Macquarie Radio Network as it was formerly known. Uh, and to that end, uh, my dad, me, um, John B. Fairfax and Nick Fairfax had dinner probably going back the better part of 10 years to discuss what a deal would look like. Was that in a pub, by the way? Uh, was it a restaurant? Well, was well, it a restaurant? Very classy. Very, very civilised. Uh, and everyone agreed it was a natural thing to do, but when you've got... I think Roger Corbett was the uh, was the chairman of Fairfax then. There were a lot of probably personality clashes got in the way more than the numbers, but everyone agreed it was a natural thing to do. And then even back then, 10 or more years ago, we thought that the natural owner would probably be a, a TV station. I mean, you've got all the back-end synergies, shared talent, shared back-end services like accounting, shared premises, and then you've also got on the revenue side one of the biggest advertisers – on um, 2GB and 3AW and, and the group of stations, RTV stations wanting to promote that night's news. I mean, it's, it's a very good place to promote TV. So you've got good cross-promotional synergies, back-end synergies, talent sharing, and then also the the talent risk. I mean, Dad had owned 2GB. For many years it was unprofitable because Jones, Hadley, John Laws were on 2UE and he'd experimented with various announcers, broadcasters over the years, and it just it didn't actually make money until Jones and Hadley came across. Then they command big salaries, so you've got the risk of that talent walking. But if you've got all of the well, – not a monopoly, but if you've got a large group of the AM stations, it reduces the risk of the talent moving across. Because uh, an, an AM station without a big audience will hemorrhage cash. You're right in that there was, a, you know, a, this is an on and off again conversation that's been going on for quite some time and the personality clashes, there was some rippers there at one stage where, you know, there was negotiations between Fairfax and and Singo would, you know, stamp his foot and go maybe use a, a an expletive to tell Fairfax where to go. What was behind all that? What what weren't you getting? What, were you, what was your side not getting? Look, I mean, 
yeah, everyone wants wants the right price, but sometimes the personalities got in the way. And you observing this, did you ever th- feel like you wanted to go, boys? Can you just lay down your put down your put down your arms, or was it? Would you just watched? I'd watch. It was entertaining, but you're looking at it going, this is crazy. You know, money's being lost in as far as opportunities are not being realised through profitability and saving costs and revenue. But easy to talk about getting egos in the same room and getting it under control. Do, doing it's another thing. Yeah, well, look, it's 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 really interesting, right? Because if you think about, um, I was a cub reporter in the '90s, and that was when uh, Singo bought his stake in Ten when it was in all sorts of trouble. That was Singo's big break in media, wasn't it? Uh, when it bought Ten, uh, when it was in receivership, and then bundled it up, funnily enough, into. John Singleton Advertising, which floated, which became STW, which is now, of course, WPP. There's a real big lineage of um, of your family being involved in media and the advertising game. But that 10 uh, scenario, uh, that was a good circuit breaker for um, for your media uh, involvement, right? A lot of the value in when the IPO of uh, SGN, I think, was the stock code. Um, yeah, a lot of the value was in the 10 deal. And that, that was quite opportunistic. It wasn't something the old man hadn't wanted to become a shareholder of a, a big media company. It was an opportunity that came up. Ten was in all kinds of trouble. The right deal was put together and uh, it was a, a very profitable deal. So you've got a big investment portfolio. Uh, you would suspect it would have to be hundreds of millions now given the Macquarie deal and, and Singo's stake in that. Great bit of speculation there, Jack. You want to confirm that? Oh, the, the dollar value? Well, it, it's not my my investment. It is, it is the old man's and... Um, yeah, where, where to next for 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 me for my dad? I mean, look, AM radio has has been great, and as as we said downstairs, I said you know you're approaching the age of fifty, you might be switching from FM to AM, and yeah, you, nice, you, you, nice your, your response was, "Oh no, Jack, I, I listen to podcasts." That's the direction it's going, and, and listening to um, the Stan um, CEO Sneesby last night on on your podcast. Look, there's some content people are going to be prepared to pay for and they want it ad-free and there's some some content that they're willing to listen to ads in. Can the revenue base of the advertising support the cost of that content? I mean, I, I know what radio stations look like when, when they don't have many listeners. I I think, I, I mean, FM, why, why would you listen to music on the radio? Well, there's a lot of people that still do, by there's, the there's way. There's a lot of people that still – there's a lot of people that watch <laughs> – free-to-air TV, but music radio, I mean, if you look at what Triple M do, I mean, you, you know, that, that, a lot of that's built around personalities. Right. I mean, Triple M at its most successful, profitable with, with Mulray back in the, I guess, right throughout the 80s, I think their, their EBIT margin was was 50%. Every every ad dollar that came in, they were banking 50% as profit. Yeah, the, the, mu- the music was good. But it was Doug Mulray that made the difference. Right, and that gets us to, of course, what Singo did with Jones & Co and bringing in across. Suddenly you went from no listeners to a whole bunch of listeners. Yeah, oh, and that, that was that was more than 10 years ago, but you don't have to look back too far to what, what happened when Kyle and Jackie O went from Today FM to Kiss. There was about 38 seconds of speculation and then bang, all the ad revenue, all, all the listeners followed and the ad dollars follow the listeners. Except in this case, where in AM, where you've been along, all of you, all all the AM dudes from Macquarie have been really, really frustrated for a long time about number one in the ratings every month or every quarter, your tops, 
But the buy side, at least at national level and the, and the media agencies, I think even you, you, you've, your dad called agencies, I think, wombats at one stage 20 years ago because they weren't buying, uh, weren't buying the audience. So you, you've got this frustration with bias in, in, on the buy side. Yeah, look, I mean, even in the media, I mean, Fairfax would, re- Sydney Morning Herald, for instance, would all, a report, oh, you know, Today FM's number one or and then you know, number one FM music station. Why, why, why draw a line in the sand between AM, FM, music, talk? Um, it's a radio. It's a button in your car. It's, I mean, most listeners are um, a band agnostic. I mean, no one would even know what frequency they're they're watching free to air or cable TV or subscription. It's to to um, classify stations based on the underlying wavelength, whether it be amplitude modulation or frequency modulation. Just I, I, I don't know oh, why. very big words. They're, they're the biggest words you get out of me. Impressive. I, I, I don't know why the, the media, and the, I think the buyers, I mean, media buyers tend to be young. They, they probably literally don't listen to, to AM. Um, it's very hard to sell a product that you're not familiar with yourself. So you gave up or you dialed back your expectations on what GB and Co would get for get from the national side and and I guess you went direct and that's uh, is that what happened? Yeah, you're you're right. So the the proportion of advertising that was coming coming in through agency buys um, was yeah we were very underrepresented there, but a lot of the SMEs, small medium businesses, um, their owners and managers probably listen to a lot of AM, so they want to be on AM because it's what they listen to, it's what their peers listen to. Um, and, it, yeah, it, it is definitely an older demographic, but, I mean, you know, the 50-year-old today, I'm looking at a bloke who's soon to turn 50. I mean, when you and I were kids, you know, when you were 50, you were, you were a, you know, a grandfather. We're not too far off that yourself, but it's a lot of speculation you know, on that point there, Jay. There's a there's a, there's a fifty year old today or a sixty year old. I mean, they're the ones who can afford to fly business class and buy the Mercedes and the BMWs, and the advertisers know that. Well, do they? That's the point. The ad, the, the ad, advertisers know it. As in, I mean, you, you look at the proportion of car advertising that's on talk radio, Lexus, Mercedes Benz, BMW. They're on AM radio because they know the buys and all of those deals are done direct. But are they dealers or is it the national brands? That Na- are- national brand and dealers. And they, they know where their buyers are, but the, the ad agencies, um, the media planners and buyers are, are young and they naturally tend to sell a product they're more familiar with, which is well, FM. Is this double whammy for AM, right, in that firstly you were AM so it wasn't cool and then your audience was older, which equally wasn't cool for some in the buying community. So you have this but it's, double it's, whammy. But it's very cool if you are trying to sell product to people over 50 who do have often a lot more, you know, empty nesters. They, they may have more discretionary income. Um, so, look, I, I guess ad, ad rates are probably ads on AM talk radio are probably undervalued. I'm turning this into a sales pitch for advertising on AM radio. Quite impressive. It sounds like your uh, your uh, sale price might go up as a result of this one, Jack. You did you have had some controversies, just a few over the years, um, probably regularly a few in and around Jones and Co. Tell us what happens when the controversies hit. You have advertisers pull, and then we'll get to what your thoughts on why it kept happening. So we go back to the the comment about Julia Gillard. I'm thinking it might have been 2011. It's, we we found out. We we heard you know heard heard the audio of what Alan said, and the gut reaction was, oh, you shouldn't have said that. That was at a, a private Liberal Party function. You know, someone was in there. They recorded it. You know, within hours, that was listened to by thousands, became ten thousands, hundreds of thousands of people. It was it was the wrong thing to say. It was a it was a joke. It was in very poor taste. 
But then you can't just go, well, that, that's done because then the pressure put on advertisers, often the pressure is put on them by people who don't even buy their product or, or listen to the, the station in question. Um, a lot of pressure is put on pull your advertising from um, from Alan Jones, from 2GB, or we will um, we will boycott your products and services. We will put a picket line around your premises. We will so a, a bit of bullying or a little bit of social pressure goes on there. So as as a as a station that a company that depends on advertising revenue, you've got to make some tough calls. You know you have you have to run ad free days because you don't want any advertisers. You have to get the the broadcaster to make a public apology. But it's the nature of a beast. I mean, it's, I mean, Alan himself, he always says he's a, a broadcaster rather than a journalist. He he makes a lot of noise. He puts on a, an incredible show every morning. It's a circus. Sometimes the sometimes the lion eats the, the ringmaster. And that, that's that's why you listen to Alan Jones, because he 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 will have provocative points of view and and points of view and opinions. And that's why you listen. It's not bland, but sometimes it comes back to bite you. But it kept biting. So, did you ever get close to going? Okay, we're just going to pull it. This is this is too risky. Look, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm not a director at the moment, but the most recent incident about Jacinda. I mean, that was the New Zealand Prime Minister. That's that's the worst. That's the closest. I mean, as Russell Tate, the executive chairman, said, if he does it again, so this is call it his third big strike. If it happens again, the contract will be torn up. You agree with that? Uh if I if I own the station 100% myself, I think it's a risk that you've you've got to take. I think a lot of people won't forget what he said, um, but a lot will. Has it affected the ratings? No. Will, will a lot of will a lot will, will people want to not associate themselves with Alan Jones for a period of time? Yes. Will they want to do live reads? No. Um, pre-record ads are probably going to be fine. Um, hasn't lost any audience. The advertisers will come back, and it's a. Uh, it's a, it's a high-risk business. I mean, the ratings are all dependent upon the personalities. Specifically, most importantly, Alan, followed by Ray, just in the, in the order they're on. You lose them, you lose a large chunk of your audience. We saw it when they left left UE and came to GB. We saw what happened when Kyle and Jackie O went to Kiss. You, you lose those provocative stirrers you're going to lose ratings. You lose ratings, there's no advertising dollar. So it's, it's, a, it's a, you know, you live by the sword, you die by the sword. The critics today, if you, if you think about social media as well and, all the, and even, even media generally, the, the, the critics will say that this sort of uh, broadcasting is, is, is contributing to a fractured society where everyone's sort of at each other and this is just fueling the, the broader trend that's there. It's people, right? It's the human condition but there are triggers. Do you ever go that deep or is that just a bit too deep for Jack Singleton and, and the broader impact on oh, society? I think, like, show, show me a civilization that hasn't always had fractures in it and, and, and disagreeing and warring parties. I mean, it's, it's natural. I mean, there's, there's, there's a right to, you know, express yourselves and there's also the right to shift your advertising dollars. Uh, I, I, you know, some of the things that Alan says very – I mean, I – you know, I, I agree aggressively with some of his points of views and so some of the stuff he says, I mean, I just like couldn't even contemplate thinking it, let alone saying it. But he draws a big audience and some people love what he says and some people hate what he says and and probably half the people who listen, listen to him are listening, waiting for him to say something provocative that they don't like. It's a bit, you know, it's a bit like the, 
the car accident you can't look away from. Should we speculate for a moment about, you know, Alan's not around forever. That's a diplomatic way of saying he's older than us. Yes. Um, and so what do you think uh, there is a way to continue, keep GB's um, a momentum without a Jones? What are you got? What were the scenarios, guys? What were the scenarios you were mapping out there in the back room? You know, there was an interesting experiment when um, Alan was sick for an extended time a few years back, and Ray Hadley actually ran the show from five thirty a.m. until noon. Um, massive workload on him. Right, he, he held the ratings. Now you wouldn't think that someone's going to do a six and a half hour shift ongoing, but the natural progression was probably going to be to shift Ray into. 5.30 a.m. until 9, and then probably Ben Fordham uh, going 9 until noon. But but interestingly, they're not without their controversies either, are they? No, that, that's why people listen. I mean, you get you get a bland broadcaster, you're not going to get high ratings. Full stop. You, you're not going to. I mean, no one wants bland. You want provocative. Or you want very funny, or you want... I mean, Doug Mulray. I mean, gee, I, one of my favourite parts of uh, the Mulray show was... Um, Back when, you mean? Yeah, a character, Gloria, who uh, who may have been based on a certain AM broadcaster we've talked about this morning. I mean, very provocative. Very provocative stuff. So it's... Let's so just, Doug, Doug, when Doug was on, Doug could and would and could say absolutely anything. That was the 80s, though. Graham Kennedy in the 70s, the yeah. crow call. I mean... <laughs> that's you've you've got to you've got to be provocative. So we can blame the people then. That's what it comes down to. It's it's, it's the personalities. The, no, the people, the people, the listeners. That's that's why we that's why we're getting um all this all this uh, provocative stuff. It's because that's what the people want. Is that what you're saying? Mr. I don't, I don't, I'm not gonna, you're not gonna, you can't blame the listeners for what what Alan Jones or Ray Hadley or Ben Ford might say. You can't blame them, but people do want. Why do people like going to the circus? There's lions in a cage with a bloke with a whip. It's dangerous. Uh, Personality-based radio is a, is a dangerous arena. Um, well said. Let's shift gears a little because you've had an agency, you've had your own businesses, you still spend plenty of money on marketing. Roses Only is a is a, uh, a good example of a business that you bought how long ago? Six years in December. Right. Now, you've talked in the past about the reluctant need for uh, search and Google to drive a lot of your, your flowers business. You, you referenced earlier that radio did all right for you, but in the end, most of your money is going to search. We're spending a very large chunk of our money on search. But ironically, uh, the reason we bought the Roses Only brand, and it was a, a purchase of the assets rather than the whole company, was we had tried for you know 10 years of seven, eight years, to build a brand as good as Roses Only, we, we couldn't do it. When we purchased Roses Only, our existing business was about the same revenue, so we purchased Roses Only, so we had double the revenue. But the Google spend, the pay-per-click AdWords spend um, required to generate the same sales on Roses Only was about 20% to what it was on, on our, our core business, our base business. So that's the value of that brand. People say, what's a brand worth? Well, we can tell you to, to generate the same number of sales with two businesses, Roses Only and our, our base business, we had to spend five times as much because we didn't have that Roses Only brand. And when I say brand, what's brand? You know, it's not colours and fluff. It's a, you know, it's a reputation in someone's, someone's brain. Someone goes to, tends to be Google, 90, 95% of the time, and they're looking for flowers. If they type in something generic like flower delivery in, in at World Square, very competitive. You might be paying two, three bucks a click. 
you type in roses only delivery. Um, you want roses only. That that brand exists in someone's brain, and that having that brand saves us probably four million dollars a year. We generate the same number of sales, but four million dollars less spent because it exists in someone's brain. Now the real irony is that the Roses Only brand was uh, launched in 1995 um, by the previous owner, James Stevens, and that brand was built around live reads on Alan Jones when he was with 2UE and Island ads in the middle of the share price part of the AFR. So that that's a brand that was largely built around AM talk radio, Alan Jones, and ads in the Australian Financial Review. And that brand today is still so strong in people's minds that, that people go to Google and, and they search for roses only. But what we do invest a lot of money in is our product and our packaging because the great thing about flowers is 99% of them are, are for somebody else. So I might be buying, but I'm sending to you. So the Thanks, re- Jeff. So the recipient- You've never done that for the record, just for <laughs> the listener. I haven't. But it's the, the recipient can become a customer. And unlike you know buying a pair of thongs or a T-shirt or a coffee mug, um, it doesn't get posted on social media, but when someone receives roses only flowers, often they will post on social media. So we look at the money we spend on the quality of product, the packaging, all the the collateral that goes around that um, as a as an investment in marketing. And that's what the modern the modern customer experience advocates would say. That's what brand brand building can do that through customer experience rather than your traditional uh, marketing or advertising um, vehicles, right? Yeah, it's and, gonna... and when when we're doing, I mean, I think the financial year we're in now, we'll do over five hundred thousand deliveries. Um, yeah, that's five hundred thousand deliveries. That's a million people. That's the person who sends it, the person who receives it. You get good posts on social media. You get happy customers at both ends and that goes on and on and on and on. You get that wrong and you can go into a downward spiral very quickly. Well, you're a long marketing guy. So when you looked at Roses Only and the brand halo that it had and the legacy it was carrying for you when you acquired the business and you had one 300 and both of them are still operating. Yeah, we've now got seven brands. We've acquired a lot of smaller brands along the way. So you're the, you're the, you're the flower tycoon. Interestingly, we've still we've probably got less than twenty percent market share. It's very right. fragmented. Yeah, right. The lessons from roses. Why did you, if it's cheaper to to uh, in the end in the long haul to market with a brand, why did you not start trying to build your other brands up to lower your your marketing costs per annum? Yeah, well, we did the, the first advertising we did with one three hundred flowers uh, was a national TV campaign with Pat Rafter was our was our front man. Uh, the ads were great. Well, we think they were. The ads were working, but the cost of running those ads versus the revenue that was coming in, it was it was not sustainable. I mean, building a brand is very expensive. Um, and, you know, Roses only was, you know, they, they did the hard yards. If we think about your your history and your and your dad's history in, in advertising and marketing, uh, you're right out of media now. You're right out of uh, the agency, or do you still have a stake in in, in an agency? I, I, yeah, I've still got a share in in my agency, Jack Watts. Yes, um, and, but it's it's. I mean, the model it's evolved into. I mean, I caught up with uh, the co-founder and, and director yesterday, and you look at the agencies that have just fallen away because they had this incredible cost base of design studios and you know teams of copywriters and art directors account service account managers what that agency has evolved into it's more like a i guess a, a, a strategic creative 
resource that clients can be called. Because I mean, a lot of our clients when we started the agency, you know, we were charging 250 300 bucks an hour for Apple Mac design work. Right. Computers were expensive. Every client very quickly had a, you know, their own studio installed. So we we're like, okay, well, we're not going to make money selling these hourly rates on on design work. We'll do the high level strategic and creative, and then let them do their own brass tacks in house or with a with a lower cost provider. And so you look now at the industry, and as I said, you are a copywriter. You're in New York. You were being very groovy at one stage. No, you don't have any stakes in 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 WPP anymore. No, no, no nothing no, there. So no. that's all clean. So what happens? What do you see when you look at the sector now? Look, I I, I think it's potentially a bit of a race to the bottom. A, a good friend of mine has, has got an agency, picked up a bit of business for Telstra a couple of years back. And I said, oh, mate, that's that, that's great. That must be going great. Nah, it's terrible. So why? Well, he goes, well, we got the business because we offered the lowest price, which meant we couldn't employ very good people and we couldn't employ many of them. So we're giving Telstra rubbish work. Telstra hate the work. Our staff are unhappy. Telstra's not happy. The work's rubbish. We have to keep doing it over and over, and it's unprofitable. It's, I mean, that that race to the bottom. It's, uh, you know, people people buying people buying business, dropping their pants on it. I mean, v- very early in the days of our agency, I, I could see that. I was like, well, mate, these computers aren't as expensive as they used to be. We're going to have to charge big money for things like concept development fee, creative development. I mean, a client will look at a bit of artwork and argue, oh, did that take two hours or two and a half hours? But if you hit them with a bill for 50 grand concept development and they love the concepts you've presented, they don't question the big one, but they're quibbling over the, you know, you go to the mechanic, oh, mate, oh, I can buy oil at Kmart for 20 bucks. Why is it 60? Yet the, the seven hours for the service, you don't question. Uh, so I think, I think the model's got to go back to clients paying for what they really value. You're not going to, I mean, when we started the agency, you were still getting your splitting the the 10% media commission between between us and and Dennis Merchant and then on top of that charging 7.5% service fee. The the days of doing that are are long gone. Do you get any rants from from Singo from afar when he's looking at things or has he moved right on from that now? doesn't give a... He's constantly offering advice and 90% of it is is worthless. (laughs) (laughs) But the 10%, I mean, I I just like, I'll tell him about an issue I might have with, with marketing or something. And I'll just let him. I'll just let him ramble, and it's being able to pick the gold nuggets out of the uh, the the muddy river that flows by. Uh, but there's a lot of gold nuggets in there. What, what's his take at the moment? Then do you think on 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 that game on the communications advertising business? He's very happy to be out of it. I mean, he was. You know, we, we watched Mad Men together, or did for the first few seasons, and he was just going. You know, the 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 day of the big idea and the Don Draper, and you know, he's like, it's, it's you know, it's all data and numbers, and and, and it should be. I mean, you used a word earlier, um, we're a reluctant advertiser on Google. We're not. I mean, it, it's 90% of our ad budget is is spent online and we get a positive return on investment on every dollar. I mean, would we love to have the same sales with zero ad spend? Oh, yeah, but everyone would. Um, you know, we, we spend millions and millions on Google and every, every dollar is measured and it's it's a returning a positive ROI. We'd like to. We'd like it to be a better ROI, um, 
but you know. But it's working. It's working. Well, it's surprising. Um, our time's almost up, Jack Singleton. I thought this might be a very difficult interview because you're not very engaging, but you've proven us all wrong. Um, quite a good conversation, thank you. Now, just um, now that was a jab, by the way. Uh, the, I, thought, I thought it was a compliment. Oh yeah, that too. What happens now for Jack Singleton? What happens for um, the next couple of years for uh, for John and the Singleton Investment Portfolio? Give us some tips. Where are you headed? I won't speak on on behalf of Dad. I think, um, as I said, the, the price is right. Um, it's a dangerous arena to be in. It's very heavily based on personalities. And I, I think he's very passionate about the Central Coast area. He's got a few developments up there. As they say, you know, invest in property, God's not making any more of it. And it is God's country up there. You're up there much? Yeah, I'm, I'm up there at least every second weekend with uh, my two young boys. We do do nippers up there, and um, that's your dad. What about you? Where, what's going on in your? Oh, look, our, my uh, main focus will be on the roses only, and Flowers Corp Group is is the company that owns the brands, and we just see that as a, as I said, we're we're the the biggest player, but we've got less than twenty percent market share, so it's still very fragmented. What's the size of the flower market, by the way? I mean, we're in in gifting, so if you look at retail flowers, people say, yeah, that's that's a billion dollars. But that includes buying flowers at Coles, Woolies, Delicatessen, 7-Elevens. If you look at the subset of that, which is gifting for, you know, delivered gifts, it's probably, you know, it's probably 250 to 300 million is, is delivered gifts. And it's, it's growing a bit ahead of CPI. Uh, we don't see it going anywhere in a, in a hurry. I mean, there are other delivered gifts that can now be offered, like I mean, hampers have been around for a long time, but we're we're increasingly looking at um, experiential gifting along the lines of the, um, you know, red balloon, adrenaline, that kind of thing. You know, V eight supercar drives and joy flights. Um, but the concept of gifting is not going anywhere. Flower delivery as a gift is still growing, and we're looking at these other categories in delivered gifts as well. So there's, it's a fun business to be in. Will you make any more acquisitions? Do you want to get yeah, to 30, yeah. 40, 50? Where do you see, where do you see uh, Flowers Corp getting to in terms of the the, the market share? Yeah, look, because it is so – I mean, we're number one. Uh, Interflora is number two. We're double the size of Interflora. And that sounds like a big brand, Interflora. It's been around a long time at least. That's been around 100 years. Is that right? Uh, yeah. Right. Um, so, yeah, we, we, I mean, our acquisition strategy is, as Warren Buffett often, you know, we sit, we wait for the phone to ring. Um, a lot of florists call us and say, hey, look, you know, we can't afford the rent at Westfield anymore. We can't afford the rent on the main street um, and we'll buy their brand assets, domain name, which gives you a lot of search traffic. We'll buy their, um, ironically, given that I was in a phone name business like 1300 Flowers, we will acquire their geographic phone number, 02-9361-8821, whatever the florist is. Is that your home number? No, I just made that number right. up. Don't call it. Um, but that, yeah, that we'll, we'll purchase their phone number, their domain name, and we'll get calls coming in. We'll get web traffic coming in. Yeah. So if you're a florist out there and you want to be acquired, call call one three hundred flowers. Sounds like a strategy, Jack. It sounds like the flowers business is good for you. It's been good for you. Um, you're a sort of a flowery sort of guy. So it was, it's it's been great talking. A really really good insightful conversation on what really is a big shift really in. Um, in the Australian media landscape and, and uh, what's going to go on in the communications business. So thanks for coming on and probably do a bit of a follow-up at some stage. We will. I'll, uh, I'll send you flowers and you can uh, give us some feedback. Look forward to that. Cheers, Jack Singleton. <laughs> thanks, Paul. MI3 Audio Edition was presented by Paul McIntyre and created in collaboration with Podcast One Australia. Producer Nick Slater. Music by Matt Dwyer. 
For more episodes, go to podcastone.com.au or search MI3 Audio Edition on Apple Podcasts and hit the subscribe button to get a free notification every time we release a new episode. Listener.